listeners, this is Neil Ludevic and Amir Jandali. Welcome to Leave Looking Up, where we have uplifting conversations about the state of the world with our heroes, with the intention to demystify, orient, and leave you, our listeners, inspired. Claire Wasserman is an inspirational educator and author who founded Ladies Get Paid, a platform, community, and book that champions the professional and financial advancement of women. Named as one of the top 100 most powerful women by Entrepreneur Magazine and one of the 75 most influential financial leaders by Marquis Who's Who, Claire has advocated for women globally. She's hosted podcasts and has garnered international coverage for her work. In today's episode, we sat down with Claire to learn how she built a business that's changed the game for women in business through community, education, and empowerment. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did and leave afterwards looking up. So now, without further ado, let's start this episode. Thank you very much for being here with us. Thank you for having me and thanks everybody for listening. She's an activist, she's an entrepreneur, the list goes on. We're really glad to have her today and want to start understanding a bit, how did you get here, Claire? What brought you to this incredible space? We've done all these different things. How much time do we have? Yeah? Okay. Um, (laughs) The whole day. (laughs) Uh, Women are struggling. We are struggling. There is a wage gap, an investment gap, funding gap, leadership gap, gap, you name it. We're, we need to make more money. And that's not something that I fully realized until I had a pretty sexist experience that woke me up. This was probably 2015. And I went to this advertising festival, south of France, very fancy. First night, there was a party and I walk into the party. Older guy comes up to me, very nice, smiley, sticks out his hand and he says, well, hi, now, whose wife are you? Okay, that's what this is going to be about. And it was a full week of interactions like that, just constantly, you know, whether I was not being taken seriously, being objectified, ignored, just felt like I had constantly had to navigate this, like, gender power dynamic. And it was really exhausting and and offensive at times, really offensive. And after that, you know, I went home and I wrote a little essay of trying to understand my place in those interactions. So it wasn't, these guys suck. It was actually turning inwards and wondering, did I cause any of those interactions, right? I think a lot of women in particular tend, tend to do this. We blame ourselves. And when I shared the, the essay with some friends, they immediately wrote me back. They said, oh my gosh, I've also experienced this. Can I share with my friends? Sure. And I started to get emails from people I didn't know. Kind of like my essay was going viral in my inbox. To give some context, Claire wrote this essay back in 2015, before it became more acceptable to talk about these kinds of experiences. Time's Up and Me Too, the movements that went viral on social media and has helped draw attention to the pervasive sexual harassment women experience in their workplace and in their lives, happened in 2017. Like, people were not really talking about, I mean, there was no Me Too. Like, we were not talking about this stuff. And, you know, I just started to research. Like, I remember typing into Google, so sort of funny, I typed into Google, women, work, and equality. Like, no idea where to begin. And so in uncovering these statistics, I really was shocked. 
I was shocked and I was ashamed, actually, because I didn't realize how bad it was, particularly for women of color. This was really bad. I just want to, for the listeners out there, get a bit more of the gravity of the situation where it was then. What metrics do we need to know about? Yeah, it's unfortunately not going to surprise you. And we can talk more about what the wage gap means. There are people who think that it doesn't exist. There are nuances to it. I do want to say, like, it is, it absolutely exists altogether. It's about 80 cents on the dollar, 70 to 80 cents on the dollar. Okay. That's the aggregate. But when you break it down further, black women, it's closer to 68 cents on the dollar. And then, like I said before, Hispanic women, 55 cents on the dollar. Actually, Asian women have the smallest wage gap, even smaller than white women. So the way that the wage gap is calculated, it takes in a lot of different factors. Some of it is, you know, just based on the industry, women tend to be in lower paid industries than men. It's also based on the roles that we have within those industries, roles that we have within the organization itself. These are actually called occupational segregation. And so you're going to see things like, as a society, we've decided we're going to pay teachers less. When you look at the school system, who tends to be principals and superintendents? And they make the most? Men. So then there's a wage gap, right, for the women who are the teachers and the men who are the principals and the superintendents. Now you could say, well, what's the wage gap there? You know, these women are, they're not choosing to be principals. They're not choosing to be superintendents. Are they really not choosing it? Or are there other underlying issues here like lack of paid family leave? You know, the default caretakers are women. There's a lot of layers you got to peel back. There are industries that used to be male dominated and those industries were paid more when they were male-dominated. Over time, they shifted and became more female-dominated, and then all of a sudden they get paid less, or vice versa. So software engineers, a lot of women were software engineers back in the day. They were paid less. Now, very male-dominated, they're paid more. Interior decorating, very male-dominated, used to be, paid more. Now it's more female-dominated, paid less. Even like retail, right? Service workers, they're hourly, they're paid the least. And guess who they're dominated by? Women of color. And oftentimes those are single mothers. And so then everything gets compounded. Thank you. That is some fantastic context. Just one thing to mention, whenever, you know, when we all enter the workforce, we're all getting paid pretty much the same. You know, when it shifts, when women have their first child. Okay. So it's actually called the motherhood penalty. So if you know anybody listening, if there's one takeaway you know, does the wage gap exist or not? There is a big drop off when you see women have kids, not the case for when a man has his first child. In fact, oftentimes men get raises and that's called the fatherhood bonus. We just pay mothers less. We just do. And as a society, we do not have a safety net for families. I told you we were going to start in a really depressing way. (laughs) It gets better. (laughs) I'm just sitting with that a moment and trying to imagine what it was like as you learned all of this information, that rage, that anger. For me, there was a fundamental shift. Like there was the before the statistics and then there was the after. And when reading this stuff, it just, it made me so angry, but I had no place to put the anger because I didn't know as an individual, you know, what can you possibly do to combat something that is so systemic, structural, entrenched, overwhelming. And so I did nothing. I just kind of felt pissed for like a year. And it really wasn't until a friend of mine came to me and she said that she recently discovered that she was just not charging as much as her male counterparts. You know, could you put on an event or is there something we could do? I don't know. What are your thoughts? And that was my aha moment because I realized, back to that question of as an individual, what could I do to combat something that was systemic like the wage gap? It was charging more. Oh my gosh, could I 
Could I close my own wage gap? Let's start there. I then hosted an event. It was a town hall for women to talk about money. And everything changed after that. I had had a startup before. I want to say I had one and a half startups, failed. Although actually, they're not failed startups because they've absolutely morphed into what I do now. So I, I feel like I was practicing for this for, for a long time. You had mentioned you'd started companies before and as is the entrepreneurship game, they don't always work out. Yeah. What yeah. felt different here? One thing I want to say in my previous startups is I didn't know how to make decisions. I didn't know how to make business decisions. Like, how do we monetize decisions? And that's why I ended up going to work for other startups to learn how to do that. So if I were to be, do those things now, I do believe they would work, but only because I have an understanding of how business works in general. So there is something different about ladies get paid for sure, but mostly I'm just different. So I saw the need. Then I instantly saw how I could solve the need and how I would make money from that need. Because in my mind, if you don't have an idea of how you're going to make money, it's not a business, it's a project, which I have had before. For me, the way that this was going to make money was I was finding instructors, coaches, money coaches, career coaches, and putting on workshops with them where we would just split the ticket sales. And then I saw the larger vision. You know, you begin with salary negotiation, but there's so much more. I mean, it's like you make more money or what do you do with your money? Where do you invest it? Oh, wait, let's take a step back. How do you even make the case for more money in the first place? Well, are you in the right job? Do you love what you do? Right. So I could see what the vision was, but I also understood that how important it is to really listen. And a big game changer to all of this was I actually went across the country and I hosted town halls in 19 cities. That, that town hall that I started in New York for women to talk about money, I did it all over the country and I really got to see where the energy was. That was crucial. There's an extra element of if you can experience where they have energy, you are going to do an even better job serving them. Where, you know, we start an email by saying, I'm sorry that it took me a day to respond to you. Why don't we say thanks for your patience, right? Women tend to say, I'm sorry for things that have nothing to do. You never should feel sorry for those things, but we're constantly, again, making ourselves small by apologizing. So I would say start counting, be observant of how many times you do kind of deflect or, or make yourself smaller in that way. Unfortunately, 2020 and 21 had different plans. Like many of us, the pandemic changed Claire's approach to work. Right. We're more online. We're not as in person. And considering that that was so much of your fuel and your recharge physically, spiritually, how has that changed that the people that you're advocating for, you don't get to meet them, to see them, to feel them in person? What, what, you know, what's what, how, how are you navigating that? Well, first of all, there's a downside to doing the in-person. You can't scale as quickly, okay? It's exhausting. But right now, uh, it's more like the one-on-one -on -one conversations with people as opposed to the group dynamic. You know, and, and I get wonderful emails and, you know, DMs. And I, instead of just looking at it for one second, I really sit with it. And when a person tells me their story or, you know, something amazing that happened or a thing that they overcame, I really, like, feel it, right? But I have to make an active effort to do that. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, cool, nice message. And then you move on. So I just have to kind of slow myself down a little bit, I think, when I have those interactions when they're online. Yeah. Different world. Different world. Back now, with navigating the workforce during the pandemic, it can be a challenging time. We all know this. But women in the U.S., they're losing more than 5 million jobs. We caught up with three determined women 
looking for the secrets to resetting their job search and the career coach helping ladies get paid. That was Robin Roberts introducing Claire on Good Morning America in 2021. Claire adapted to the pandemic and grew her business by supporting women virtually, planning webinars, putting together a video library, and building her Slack community, which is now made up of 55,000 women who've exchanged over 2 million messages. Growth in the face of a pandemic is so impressive, but it wasn't the only challenge that she faced and overcame on this journey. I can only imagine in this space that you're in, this landscape, you've gotten lots of feedback about your role and your company. How have you responded when people have given you criticism or feedback, both from your audience and your competitors? Well, we were sued uh, for gender discrimination by a group of men's rights activists. So yeah, so talk about criticism. I mean, if anyone's curious and wants to go down a rabbit hole and get really fucking mad, go to ladiesgetsued.com. We did a whole campaign around it. Ladiesgetsued.com is worth visiting to get the full story. Here's a short clip from the main video posted to that site where Claire explains just what she was up against. Because the nature of our events are so sensitive, I mean, we're talking about things from like discrimination and harassment. Um, I made the decision to make it for female identifying and non-binary people only. I just felt that if there were men in the room, that it would really make it uncomfortable for women to speak up. But then we got sued for gender discrimination. Thankfully, they hit their crowdfunding goal where nearly 2,000 people have contributed a combined $115,000 to help support Ladies Get Paid's legal costs, plus continue to support the efforts of Ladies Get Paid as a whole. That's been like my biggest outside group of people hating what we do. It was further validation of what we do, but also very demoralizing, you know, like this is what the world is, right? So so there's that. No, nobody is uh, ever as critical of me as I am of myself. Everybody's quite lovely, actually. <laughs> the thing that's been hardest, actually, is trying to figure out why something isn't working. That's the thing I don't think enough people talk about. It's like, learn from your mistakes. Well, sometimes you don't know what the mistake actually is. You just know it didn't work. So that requires trying things again and again and again. And through that process, learning how to not take it personally, which if you, you know, if you in large part align your identity, you know, the who you are with what you do, if you are purpose driven, then you really can't extricate yourself from this stuff. It will be personal to a certain extent. And I don't think that's bad. Just a piece of advice that I have learned and that will maybe be helpful for other people who are taking things personally or you're sort of dealing with criticism in general. You are not a mind reader. What I mean by this is I hosted a town hall in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and I thought it went horribly, horribly, because to me, sort of success is the energy in the room. There was no energy in the room. Nobody laughed. Nobody said anything. I mean, that's the whole point of a town hall, right? Is that like, we all have to stand up here. So I leave this town hall and I think, Man, not only did this go poorly, I suck at this, and maybe I shouldn't even be running Ladies Get Paid. The community deserves better. Like, I ballooned this out. I catastrophized it. The next morning, I wake up and I receive an email from somebody I don't know saying, wow, that was life-changing for me. Thank you so much. So now I'm pissed because I'm like, did I just spend all this energy? I almost quit Ladies Get Paid. What happened? And I talked to this woman, another woman there who I knew, and she said, oh, Claire, it's cultural. Like, what do you mean cultural? This is America. She goes, it's Midwestern nice is what she called it. People here, 
they were afraid by speaking up that they would be a burden or annoying or taking the mic from somebody else. I was like, oh, oh, so this wasn't a reflection on how much they liked it? No, not at all. It's our culture. Wow. That was game changing for me because every time I go into a situation where I'm making assumptions about how I think other people are receiving me, receiving and perceiving, I'm probably wrong. And just nobody cares as much about you as you think you do. (laughs) They're thinking about themselves. (laughs) As it turns out, even the most influential leaders doubt themselves. After the break, Claire shares how she's turned that self-doubt into a unique strength. Plus, the biggest challenges she faces in her own career, the people that have helped her get to where she is now, and what's changed about the anger that fueled her to start Ladies Get Paid in the first place. Hi, Claire. Hi. Thanks for coming on the Avocado Show. Thanks for having me. My name is Shauna Gregory. I am the Chief Program Officer at Women Who Code, and I'm really excited today to chat with our guest, Claire Wasserman. Welcome to Sit Down. I'm DJ Sixsmith. Claire Wasserman here with us. Today, I am incredibly beyond excited to welcome our next guest onto the show, Claire Wasserman. Claire is... I'm just delighted to have her. Claire Wasserman, who is back by popular demand. Before the break, she mentioned that in spite of all of her achievements, she's still her own biggest critic. But instead of trying to hide her struggles, she embraces them. Having successfully navigated a pandemic, a lawsuit, and all the challenges that come along with building a business, Claire is now a highly sought-after educator that shared her expertise with organizations like NASA, the United Nations, Harvard Business School, and many, many more. I've done a lot of reflecting, but also getting perspective from others. And they always say, you know, what makes me, I think, special and maybe different is I'm just right there fucking with you. Like, I'm like, me too, buddy. I struggle with money. Like, let me tell you about my imposter syndrome as I, you know, I'm very much like a work in progress. So I think people appreciate that and it's catharsis for me. So thank you all for being part of my therapy session right now. (laughs) And then I transferred that to like, okay, so what makes me able to connect to others is by being, you know, transparent with my own struggles. So the email that I get after every town hall, every event, you know, reading the book, I thought I was the only one, but now I realize I'm not because I've seen myself in another. Have you found any exercise that might, you know, help somebody regain their sense of personal power and therefore ask for that raise or like reframe something in a way that helps them articulate something they couldn't before? Well, I always say, you know, talk about therapy, like this always comes down to how you just like feel about yourself and how in tune you are with yourself. Because there could be somebody who's like, I'm going for this raise, I'm working my ass off, but it's not working. And sometimes it's maybe you're not in the right job. Like you're not in the right company. You're not in the right role. Like we need to be rethinking Like you're not alive. Like you haven't come alive in what you do. So there's a reason you're not shining or being recognized. So that means going back to the drawing board and perhaps pivoting. I think, again, the through line here to moving up in your career and at your company, it's relationships. So knowing that you're not working in a silo, like who else is aware of the work that you're doing? Are they advocating on your behalf? Because oftentimes it's the rooms you're not invited into where decisions get made. So these things have to happen in tandem. You can't just put your head down and work hard and expect to be rewarded. It's like you have to be lobbying for yourself, you know, in in a group dynamic too. And Claire said that as a result of the pandemic, now is actually the perfect time to advocate for yourself and the changes you want to see at your company, especially those that disproportionately affect women. 
companies are rethinking their policies, their paid family leave policies. Notice I'm saying family and not maternity, right? Vigil, you really had to go to bat to for yourself. And there was a fear that you'd be looked at as like an exception or selfish, right? Well, we don't quote do that here. But now companies are rethinking it from a cultural perspective, understanding that it's expensive to lose people. And people leave because they're not growing. And so how do you keep somebody engaged and happy at your company? It means investing in them, which oftentimes turns into like getting them a video subscription to Ladies Get Paid, right? Or having me come in and speak, you know, all, all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm feeling actually pretty excited about this. I just want to say for everybody listening, if there is a change that you want to see at your company, now is absolutely the time to go to bat for it because they are unsure. They're like, I don't know the answer to this. They're all trying to figure themselves out. They will be grateful to you for coming with suggestions and solutions. You just need to really think through the financial implications of your ask. And by that, I mean just even like the time that it takes to do it and the resources and have other people also come in and advocate with you and also find what your competitor companies are doing. And if they're doing anything organizationally or culturally or whatever that you think is great, well, in order for your company to stay competitive for talent, tell them about what that other company is doing. And that might kick their butt a little bit to make positive change. Pushing for change at your company may seem challenging, but pushing yourself to change can feel almost impossible. Compared to when she first launched Ladies Get Paid, Claire's day-to-day life and work style are completely different, for better and for worse. I hustled a lot more, <laughs> but to the point of burnout, you know, I'd be like 5.30 in the morning. I was reading those books around like, you know, all these CEOs, they get up so early and I, all I did was work and work and work and I don't do that now. And, you know, I'm just trying to balance out now what does hustle look like? So I'm struggling with that because I have a proclivity to procrastinate, but it's, it's interesting. I think that hustle was a thousand percent needed. I do. I, I don't, I think everybody, when they start their careers, they start their companies. Yes. You need to like blood, sweat and tears it, but you also need to know when that's not sustainable and how to sort of transition into a new way of operating. Now I'm like, I just took a nap. <laughs> I just woke up. Yeah. I've learned how to just not care. I think that comes with age also. We're at a certain point, you know, shut my laptop at 6 PM and I'm like, peace out fuckers. Like, I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to care about this, about this issue. I'm just going to watch trashy TV. I also, you know, moved to California, got into marijuana. Wish I'd known you then, Neil. I'm a much chiller person. Let me tell you, I'm much happier. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm just like, let's, let's get a vape. Let's turn off the laptop and I'm just going to have a good time. What is younger hustle Claire have to, does that Claire exist anymore? How is that Claire grappling with this current day Claire? <sighs> I'm trying to figure it out. I've gone too far to the other side. So it's like I can sometimes do things in extremes. So I was like extreme hustle, but like never learned how to work in a sustainable way. Then I went into the like, after my book, I did like basically a full year of just sort of burnout and it was the pandemic. And it was just, I feel like I was waking up in the morning and sort of waiting for the day to be over. I know that sounds really like sad and depressing, but you know, it it was all of us. It's been more than a year since my book was finished. Like I have to get back on the horse. So I'm trying to figure out what's the balance. And I hired an accountability coach because I realized I haven't had a boss in a long time and that's great. But also we could all use a boss, I think. 
we can always use somebody who's given us feedback on ourselves and holding us to task. And so I realized I I needed to hire somebody to do that. So I've invested in Keto Williams. She goes by the name of Success Bully. And and that's been going well over the last, you know, month and a half. So I'm still a work in progress, but I, I realized I needed help, as we all do. We all need perspective. The way that I internalized what you just said, it's who's in your orbit, it's who's in your constellation that you can rely on, that can push you, that can challenge you, that can keep hold you accountable. Amir keeps me in check all the time. And I'm curious, when you're thinking about people that are supporting and helping you, who can you give thanks to for any of these things that you've spoken about? Aaron Rasmussen is and has been a wonderful and beautiful mentor of mine. He is the co-founder of Masterclass. He started a company called Outlier. Really encourage people to check that out. It's like an alternative option of education of accredited university for like fraction of the cost. He's an inventor. He's a screenwriter. Like just a wonderful and just an amazing person. Really interesting guy. He has been here from the beginning of the Ladies Get Paid journey when it was just an idea. And I, I remember emailing him after I wrote the essay and it went a little viral and I was like, I think there's something here, even though like it was just again, like energy. Right. And I talked things out with him and he's like, yeah, you do have something here. Susan line, who is the CEO and founder of built by girl ventures has had an incredible career. She greenlit desperate housewives and lost when she worked at ABC entertainment had been the CEO of Martha Stewart's company guilt group. Now she's this venture capitalist. And she has been there from the beginning saying, yes, there is something like you got this, you got this. So this is how we should all be acting. You can impact somebody's life so much by doing so little, <laughs> just saying, you got this. And those people have consistently been there for me over the years. And I'm incredibly grateful to both of them and, and a number of others. It seems like a lot of these connections, these really powerful kind of either mentors or guiding lights, are people that you just either, what, reached out cold? Or how did these connections happen? Did you... Relationships have been the key to everything. Any job that I've ever had in my life, did not come from a cold application. It came from a relationship, came from an introduction. And the people that I've met either were sort of randomly in my orbit, whether it was an old boss of mine actually met my stepmother on a plane in Ladies Get Paid the Book. I have a chapter on networking. If you had to pick one chapter to read, that absolutely is it because networking exists and should exist within your company as well. So it's the building relationships, the people you also work with, as well as new people that you want to meet. But I, I do want to say I have, I'm very awkward actually at events. This is literally why I have become like a producer host of events because it gives me a purpose. Like I know what I'm doing there. And so I've been at events where I'm, I'm too nervous to go up to people. I, I get like really sweaty. Like I'm like super <laughs> uncomfortable. You're the and guest and you start hosting. <laughs> I'm probably not what a lot of people think that I like. I'm actually a huge introvert. I was at an event with my partner, Ashley, and, you know, there was this woman there, Beth Comstock. She'd been the former vice chair of innovation at GE. And Ashley's like, we need to introduce ourselves. I'm like, I couldn't do it. I was like, there was a line of people waiting to meet her. I'm like, I was, I could not do it. Couldn't do it. I was like, I'm going to stay by the wine and the cheese. Always a good place to be. This was pre-pandemic, obviously. Ashley's like, screw you, I'm going. She goes and I'm watching. They're very animated. I'm like, okay, so this is going well. Finished speaking, Ashley's like, okay, I got to tell you all about this. So we leave and she says, guess what? She knew us. 
She knew all about Ladies Get Paid. And not only did she know us, she had found the person who art directed our website, our logo, and she hired them. What? Wow. I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then Ashley's like, I'm getting coffee with her next week. And she did. And then she's like, ready to go, Ashley. Yeah. And she's become a mentor. You know, since then, has made some introductions that have made us money, brand partnerships, just a wonderful person. So now I go up to people and the way that I do it, because I'm still very nervous, but I kick my butt because I think, you know, what would Ashley do? And also, I have to report back to her. And you know what? I was still awkward. That's okay. Like, you're building a muscle here. But I, you know, but then these beautiful relationships have happened. Life-changing relationships. I mean, that kind of is connected to this idea of what fuels you, but like, what is, what is your North Star, your driving force, central motivator? Does it still feel the same thing that it was? Is that fire still coming from the same place of anger and frustration? Or is there something different now? No, I don't have the anger anymore. Mostly because I'm tired. There's just so much terrible stuff happening in the world that I can't feel all my feelings around it. I've had to learn what place that that has. I mean, it's always connecting to like my why, you know, why I'm doing this, who I'm doing this for, you know, imagining the person that I'm speaking to. So even in writing the book, this is actually some good advice for anybody who's suffering from any kind of like imposter syndrome or feeling a lot of pressure to perform. I used to think about Am I going to get on a New York Times bestseller list? Is my editor going to be happy? Like, am I going to sell a lot of copies? And so I would spin my wheels freaking out about that, largely because I have no control over that. Like, literally, I could do my best and I could get canceled, right? So it's like, that was not helping focus. So what I ended up shifting toward is, like, really imagining a person, like, opening my book and reading it. Right. And so writing it, sort of making it smaller in that way, breaking it down, making it personal was very helpful. And then the other thing that I shifted to is also making it about me. It's not about the wage gaps, not about the audience, actually. A lot of times it's what am I learning? Can I find joy in what I'm doing? Can I challenge myself? It's about the things that you have maybe more agency over because then you can sort of guarantee success. If you don't see yourself gaining momentum, you're just going to lose it. So that's sort of part of the issue of, you know, having the fire to close the wage gap. It's just not going to happen. Like that's like our joke is we have a business that exist to try to put ourselves out of business, we're not going to close these gaps. And so even though that is the starting fire, it's not healthy to constantly stay focused on something that's just never going to happen. So it's like, okay, what can I do that I can see that momentum happening? And that is things like finishing a chapter of my book and being proud of myself and like learning how to get over writer's block and, you know, finding joy in that. So my, my why has gotten smaller I love that this is leaving, this is in a place of optimism. I'm curious, given where you are now, what have you learned recently that's left you looking up? I am really optimistic about women getting way more aggressive with investing. They, you know, we've seen that all through the pandemic, GameStop, now crypto and NFT is like, there is money to be made. People are getting rich. They're not women. It's really interesting. It's like when I started Ladies Get Paid, I've been very driven by long time stats, right? Again, systemic, entrenched. But we're watching now statistics happening in real time. We're watching the fact that 15% of Bitcoin traders are women. Okay. So we're going, holy shit, we got to make a difference now. Like there is an urgency to this that's really exciting. And so we're seeing way more women ready 
to invest their money. And that's, that's a fabulous, you know, again, you know, always invest with caution. Don't invest things, you know, you can't afford to lose, et cetera, et cetera. But that's some energy I'm seeing. So we're doing a lot more stuff. Ladies get crypto. You're going to see more things coming out from us. So I'm, I'm super jazzed. And I'm learning just along with the rest of them. As we bring this to a close, along the train of thought of models and along the train of thought of even, even looking outside this nation, um, if there are any countries or municipalities or anything, anyone that you've seen that you are looking up to that you think is doing it right, it's rough because it's like you can look at countries like New Zealand and, you know, Scandinavian countries and like they have great policies, but they're also just different countries, you know, than ours. Like we're we're a bunch of little countries put together and and with radically different, you know, to go back to like the Minnesota culture. Right? So I'm always a little skeptical of like let's, you know, making one-to-one comparisons. That being said, we're obviously way down the totem pole when it comes to things like paid family leave. So pretty much everybody else is doing it better than we us. We still have to find that space. It means we can be that person. Yeah, right? Yeah, I know that you, you know, you cobbled together little things from one company is doing this. Okay, cool. I'm going to take, because it's not a one size fits all for a company, for a person, for a country. So you take elements of what will work for you in your context. That's, that's the key. So rapid fire round, you've got three to five seconds to come up with the first word that comes to your brain. I think this is appropriate. Favorite book. I really like Anna Karenina. Am I allowed to say a I Russian book? You can say any book Yikes. that you want. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Favorite movie? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, I love rom-coms, so we're just going to go with my best friend's wedding. Favorite <laughs> foreign word? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> muff. Do you know what? So that, this is interesting. Muff is the word femme in French, but backwards. And it is a uh, it is a certain kind of, it's called verlan. It's a slang word in French. So there you go. Because I lived in France for a little bit. I'm obsessed with with slang. Well, fruit. Apple. Yeah. Yeah, pink ladies. Easy. Uh, let's go back to the words. Let's see what you come up with. Favorite curse word. <laughs> I don't know. All of a sudden I'm like, fugazi. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Now time for the, the the either ors. So Android or iPhone? iPhone. Mountains or beach? Mountains. GIF or GIF? GIF. East coast or west coast? Ooh, it's got to be west coast now, baby. Dang. Just moved here, so. Pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Texture. I got that texture. Last one, chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. With vanilla. No, can I, I, can I, I, I ask why you bit your tongue there? Why you held it? You were like... Cho- Okay, so I'm a big sweets person. Like, that is my, like, I'm very, very, very healthy, but only because I'm very, very sweet tooth. So, mm. um, like, vanilla base with, like, mm. chocolate, like, chunks in it. I'm, like, big on the texture. Mm. So if you're giving me just, like, straight chocolate or, like, chocolate ice cream, I don't like it. But if you don't got the chocolate chunks in there, then, you know, it's just, like, why even try? Like, it's trash. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. That was the hardest question I got all day. So thank you for helping me. I really like had I'm, to think. I'm loving that. That was the most difficult question of the whole of the whole interview. What's starting your back. inspirations? Oh, that's easy. Chocolate and vanilla. Oh, oh gosh, no, the movie. I feel terrible because I started mm. my career in independent film producing. This is so like I. I there's just. Uh, I guess I've just. <laughs> Smoke too much weed. I don't know. Definitely. <laughs> like, it went away. It used player. to have good answers, but now. <laughs> so thank you so much. If people want to find 
you learn more about what you're doing, both Claire Wasserman and Ladies Get Paid, where can they do that? Yes. Thank you for asking. Ladiesgetpaid.com, ladiesgetpaid.com slash book. You can follow us on all social channels at Ladies Get Paid. You can find me and follow me at Claire Gets Paid. Congratulations to you guys for this wonderful show. Thank you for having me on. Thank you all for listening. And thank you to the editor because you had a job to do today. (laughs) For folks that love what they're hearing today and want to hear and see more, we have the complete uncut and raw episodes in video form available online on our fan page via Patreon at www.leavelookingup.com slash fans. There you can support what we're creating. Hear sound bites that didn't make it to the final cut. Gain wisdom from our guests, score merch, be the first to access our content, and more. Also, we'd like to take a second to thank you for joining us today. So if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the podcast in your app of choice. Leave Looking Up is hosted by myself, Neil Ludevic, and my co-host, Amir Jandali and produced by our small but mighty team at Moon 31, a company dedicated to creating platforms for meaningful conversation that tackle the important issues of today. This episode was created through the combined efforts of myself as executive producer and our producer Kyle Getz, with support from Eric Aaron. The Moon 31 team also includes lead producer Lushik Lotus-Lee, designer Andrea Kang, Glass Slipper Media, and engineer Justin Jet Carter, who also scored this episode. Original theme music by Brady Watt and background music provided from Blue Dot Sessions.